Welcome to The Worrying Mind. This is part six of To Stand on My Own, The Polio Epidemic Diary of Noreen Robertson. Monday, October 25th, 1937. Lillian took me for a bath today. It's a big metal tub that I get lowered into with warm water up to my neck. It felt wonderful. I want to stay in it forever. I also like bathing because my legs don't feel so heavy and I can move them a lot easier. Lillian tells me to move them a lot in there for exercise. While I was in the tub, I asked Lillian what was wrong with Thelma, because she didn't seem to want to get better. Lillian pursed her lips a bit and didn't answer right away, so I knew she was having an argument inside herself. I have seen Mother do that when trying to make up her mind about something. Finally, Lillian told me that Thelma had been at the hospital for such a long time because her parents did not want her back because she was a cripple, and they couldn't take care of her as they were busy running a farm and had eight other children. So Thelma's parents made her the responsibility of the province. I asked Lillian what was going to happen to Thelma once she left the hospital, and Lillian said Thelma would go into an institution for children with disabilities. Then Lillian said that Thelma has just given up on life and the only reason she, Lillian, was telling me was in the hopes that we girls could help Thelma. I don't know, though, what Edna or Julie or I can do. Well, there is one thing. I won't count the days until I leave out loud anymore. I'll just write them here. Ten days. Monday, October 25th, 1937, evening. I nearly forgot that Lillian brought my tatting back and also brought shuttles for all four of us, even Edna. I am to teach Lillian and the girls how to do tatting. I'm a bit nervous about that, but also excited, because here is something I can do, and I can show others how to do it too. Lillian said it was a wonderful way to exercise the hands, keep us busy, and make lovely items to boot. I'll have to send a letter for Anne in my next letter home, and tell her how the hospital is using tatting for polio patients. Thelma drew me a wonderful Halloween picture of a yellow moon with a haunted house and bats flying out of it. Our room looks very scary and all ready for Halloween, with all the pictures on the wall. Dr. Lear popped in to see me, and even he said it looked very festive. I'm at the part in Heidi where Heidi has to leave the mountain and stay with Clara. Thelma says it is nice to know other people have problems too. The girls do their tatting while I read. Thelma is so fast, she has almost finished an entire bookmark. Because I'm the one reading, I don't get to work on my bookmark. Tuesday, October 26th, 1937. We were all screaming today, and the nurses came running. We were screaming because Edna can move her fingers. Edna was crying and crying and showing everyone how her fingers on her right hand can move. Julie and I were so excited we couldn't do anything except scream. Even Thelma looked happy for Edna. Tomorrow the doctors are going to take off Edna's splints so Lillian can massage her arms and Edna hopes she won't have to wear the splints ever again. 
Then Anna said, I better get ready to teach her how to do tatting, though. She also said it wouldn't be easy because she was a slow learner. The nurses telephoned Edna's parents to give them the good news. They were going to come and visit Edna tonight. I wrote a letter home to Mother and Dad this afternoon, telling them Edna's good news. I also told them that I can stand on my own and that soon they will get a telephone call saying that I have taken a few steps. I also told Mother all about Thelma's parents not wanting her anymore. A secret. I think I told Mother that because a small part of me is afraid maybe Mother and Dad won't want me back, though I know that's silly. I also told them about Eugene being here in the boys' ward and all about the iron lung. That was mostly for Grandpa, though. I also asked if there had been any more old fogey letters in the newspaper. I thought Grandpa would think that funny. I'm going to try my hardest to take some steps tomorrow, as my crutches came this afternoon, and tomorrow I am to try them out. I'm very scared, but also very excited. I can get from my bed to my wheelchair myself now, though sometimes at night I'm too tired and a nurse has to help me. Nurse Stanfield gave me permission to visit with Eugene whenever I want in order that Eugene feels there is someone from home nearby. I asked her when Eugene would be out of his iron lung, but she said that she didn't know, as everyone's recovery was different and that was what made polio such a frightening yet curious disease. After Nurse Stanfield left, I got thinking that I might want to be a nurse, but then I remembered how the nurses have to empty the bedpans, and I don't think I want to be a nurse after all. Maybe I should be a pilot like Amelia Earhart. Tuesday, October 26th, 1937, evening. Edna's mother and father brought in a cake and ice cream to celebrate Edna moving her fingers. Even the nurses and Dr. Lear and another doctor had some, and Dr. Lear took some to the boys in their ward. Some of the boys were showing off for everyone this evening, racing their wheelchairs up and down the corridor and Henry showed everyone how he could tip back onto the two rear wheels of the wheelchair. After he did it twice, Dr. Lear told him not to do it anymore and sent the boys back to their beds. Henry said I should try doing it sometime, but I'd be afraid and I'd fall backward and not be able to get up. I'm not the least bit tired, so I'll write a bit more. I asked Dr. Lear if he had heard of an Australian nurse named Kenny. He said he had, and I told him that Grandpa had been reading about Sister Kenny and had wrapped my legs in warm cloths and massaged them like she recommended. Dr. Lear said he was keeping an open mind and was willing to look at any treatment that would alleviate suffering. But he said that the best treatment for everyone was eradicating the disease entirely. I told him I was thinking of being a nurse except for the bedpans. He said he could understand my reluctance, but I could be a physical therapist and bypass the bedpans altogether, yet still help people. I never thought of that before. The girls want me to keep reading Heidi, so I have to go. Nine days till I go home. Wednesday, October 27, 1937. I did it! I walked! My crutches came today, and they fit perfectly. 
They come to just below my elbows and fasten there, rather than the ones that come under your armpit. They make my arms a bit sore, but Lillian said that would go away in time. I walked from my bed to Edna's bed with Lillian and a student nurse holding me. Then I walked three steps all by myself with my crutches, until I wobbled, so they put me back in bed. The leg braces hold my knees rigid, so I sort of swing myself along, but at least I am on my feet. I was very tired afterwards, which Lillian says is normal, but she said I was also getting stronger each day, and soon it wouldn't tire me out as so much. I was shaking and sweating all over afterwards, but I did it. I walked. I reminded Lillian of her promise to call Mother. She went immediately and telephoned and then came back and told me that Mother was very excited. I need to rest now, as I'm very tired. Later in the afternoon. We are going to have a Halloween party. The entire polio ward. Boys and girls together. Edna had her splints taken off her hands this morning, and now she is busy telling everyone what to do. Julie and I are making orange and black paper chains to hang from the ceiling. We won't hang them. The student nurse will. Thelma is drawing orange pumpkins like mad to hang on the walls. It is very exciting. Henry said he and a couple of boys are putting together costumes. After supper. Edna wanted me to keep reading Heidi while everyone worked on their Halloween projects. I told her I'd only read if she kept one of her promises and told us about kissing a boy. She went beet red because just as I said that, Dr. Lear came in with a couple of training doctors. Dr. Lear said he would like to hear about kissing too. So what did Edna do but try to put everyone's attention on me? She said that I only wanted to hear about kissing because I was sweet on Henry. Then Julie said, Ice cream soda lemon tart. Tell me the name of your sweetheart. I can't believe Edna said that. I am not sweet on Henry. I am not sweet on anybody. And I told them that. Dr. Lear had brought the doctors to see Edna move her fingers. We all watched when he asked Edna if she could bend her arm at the elbows. She did it and we all cheered. Then out of the blue, Thelma told Dr. Lear that I had walked three steps on my own. It was very embarrassing because I had to show him and the other doctors how I could do it with their help. But I was very proud too. I know I am growing stronger, but I also know it is going to take a lot of time. Eight days to go! Thursday, October 28th, 1937 I got the biggest surprise in the world today. Grandpa drove Mother from Saskatoon to Regina. They left at 6 a.m. and got here in time for lunch. Mother was a bit flustered because she said Grandpa drives like a madman and actually got them lost, though she doesn't know how as it is a well-marked road all the way from Saskatoon to Regina. Grandpa says he knew where he was the entire time. I held so tight to Mother, I never wanted to let her go. Mother said they came to see me walk, so I showed them, and because they were there, I walked five steps to the doorway and back again. I felt I could fly today. Mother says I look very well. 
I started to introduce her to the girls, but she said, no, no. She wanted to see if she knew them from my letters. She guessed them all right. She said I had described them perfectly from Edna's rosy cheeks to Thelma's lovely golden curls to Julie's wide gray eyes. All the girls looked pleased at Mother's comments. Mother brought me some new underwear, and then she took a blouse from a bag and held it up in front of Julie and Edna, and then Thelma. She told Thelma she thought it would fit her best and that it was one of my cousin Jean's old blouses. I was going to be thrown out, so if Thelma could use it, that would be wonderful. Thelma said in that case she would be glad to take it off Mother's hands. I never did tell the girls that I wore my cousin's hand-me-downs. It's funny, but when Mother gives people things, like clothes, she makes them feel like they are doing her a favor, rather than the way Aunt Ella does it. When she gives you something, it makes you feel like you're on the relief. It makes me love Mother all the more. I heard all the news from home, and I told Mother that James was not to take my bedroom and to keep Edmund out of it, too. And Mother gave me a letter from Anne that I will read after I write in my diary. I just remembered that I wanted to write Anne a letter, but forgot to do it. I could have sent it back with Mother. I'm ashamed of myself. As soon as I finish writing about Grandpa and Mother's visit, I'll write Anne. She's a much better friend than I deserve, and it is time I told her that. Grandpa greatly admired our Halloween decorations and went into the boys' ward to see what sort of costumes they were making. He came back with a big grin on his face, so I expect they are very good. He said, that Henry boy is quite a card. I saw Edna open her mouth to say something, but I quickly told Grandpa how I was reading Heidi to the girls every night and showed Mother my tatting, and then all the girls showed her their tatting and Edna never said anything about me being sweet on Henry, which I am not. The visit went so fast, and Grandpa and Mother had to leave in the early afternoon so they could get most of the way home by dark. Mother said she didn't trust Grandpa's driving in the dark. Then Grandpa said that Mother should learn to drive, and Mother said she just might take him up on that offer, and that maybe it was time she did learn to drive an automobile. Then Grandpa said maybe he'd spoken too hastily but Mother said it was too late to take back the offer now. Mother gave me a huge hug and told me she was so proud of me, and when Grandpa hugged me goodbye, I told him thank you for making me come to Regina, because now I believe I really will walk. They continued their argument about Mother driving as they left. It's funny. I'm so happy they came, but I can't stop crying now that they're gone. Mother said as soon as the hospital called to say I could come home, she'd be right here to get me. I told her it was only seven days now. P.S. I asked Mother how she and Grandpa paid for the gas to come to Regina, and Mother told me everyone pitched in some money, including Aunt Ella and Uncle Tom, and that I might write and thank them. That was very nice of Aunt Ella. Thursday, October 28, 1937 evening. I flatly refused to read Heidi until Edna told us about kissing. She got out of it the other night, but not tonight, so she finally agreed. But she said we had to turn off the lights because she'd be too embarrassed to have them on. Julie said that she, Julie, should not listen because she wasn't sure it was 
proper, so he told her to plug her ears with her fingers. Thelma scooted over in her wheelchair and swatted the lights off. We swat the lights on and off with a fly swatter because we can't reach them from our wheelchairs. Then Edna told us that she had been going out with this dreamboat from her school to movies and dances. She said he was very dreamy and played hockey and all the other girls were jealous of her. One time during a movie, she told us he put his arm around her and with his other hand turned her face to his. And then he kissed her. Julie gasped at this point, so she must not have plugged her ears after all. That was it, Edna said, but Thelma told her that wasn't anything at all. If that's all there was to kissing, what was the big deal and why did the lights have to be off? So Edna started to giggle and told us that the boy had chapped lips and they were rough on hers. And even though he tried to part her lips with his tongue, she kept them firmly closed. But she said she still really enjoyed kissing him. But she hasn't seen him since she got ill and she started to cry and said that no one would ever kiss her again. Thalma swatted the lights on and wheeled over to Edna's bed and somehow managed to lean over and kiss Edna's cheek and said, There, I kissed you. Edna said that was sweet, but she really wants to kiss a boy. One of the student nurses came in to clear our trays before bed and saw us all crying, so she turned on the radio and found some dance music to cheer us up. She looked quite bewildered when we cried even harder. She didn't know it was because we knew we'd probably never dance again. She wouldn't know because until you have dancing or walking or running taken away from you, you have no idea how it feels. I forgot to say that Anne wrote that she is doing a lot of lace collars, and she thanked me so much for being the one who got her the work. I don't know what she means. I didn't get her the work. She got the work herself. She is the one who does such lovely tatting. Friday, October 29, 1937. We had our party this afternoon. We couldn't have it on the real Halloween because it was on a Sunday, and tomorrow Lillian and Dr. Lear wouldn't be here. It was so much fun, you would never have known we were in a hospital, and we were all sick. The student nurses helped put up our decorations, and the doctors brought us a pumpkin. They had carved. Dr. Lear said it was a chance to try out their new surgical instruments before using them on the patients. I think he was joking. We had punch and cookies and lots of Halloween candy. Julie isn't feeling too well from all the candy. We got to use our wheelchairs and go back and forth between the girls' and boys' wards. Even Eugene got to have some punch and candy. One of the nurses painted Eugene's face green so he looked like Frankenstein inside his iron lung. Henry had made himself a costume. He had on black pants, a white shirt, and had put red paint all over himself. He made us guess what he was, and we guessed a monster, then an accident victim, and finally he relented and told us he was a newspaper, black and white, and red all over. We played pin the leg bone on the skeleton. Everyone thought it was very funny, because I pinned the bone next to the skeleton's arm. Then Henry convinced me to tip my wheelchair back onto two wheels. I did it, though I would have fallen right backward if Dr. Lear hadn't grabbed my wheelchair. I still did it. We have strict instructions not to tip our wheelchairs anymore. There was only one sad part at the whole party, except it wasn't really sad. Henry is going home tomorrow. We all exchanged addresses so we could write to each other. 
Julie wondered if it was proper for her to write to Henry, and I said he was just like any other pen pal. Six days to go. Saturday, October 30th, 1937. Thelma has to have surgery on Monday. Dr. Lear didn't want to tell us before because he didn't want to spoil our Halloween party. He told her last night after the party. The doctors are going to cut the tendons on her ankles to try to ease the stiffness in her feet. Thelma has dropped foot. She is very upset and keeps saying she is not having surgery. It's been very quiet in here today. We're all tired from the party. I'm afraid they will come in and tell me I will need surgery and I can't go home. Henry came in and said goodbye this morning, and that made us feel even worse. Whenever we felt gloomy, Henry would come in and make us laugh. I bet he is with his family right now, making them laugh. P.S. I did it! I wrote Anne and told her how bad I felt, that I hadn't been a better friend. I told her everything, how I was mean throwing mud at her, and saying she had germs, and that maybe God had given me polio germs to show me how mean I was. I was crying while I wrote the letter, but I feel better now. I told Anne if she didn't want to be my friend, I understood. Then I gave it to one of the student nurses to put with the mail. It's strange, but I feel like I'm lighter. Like I could fly if I had wings. Sunday, October 31st, 1937. It's Halloween today, though it was celebrated last night, as you can't have Halloween on a Sunday. Lillian said it's because Sunday is a church day. Edna's parents came to visit her this afternoon. They could tell we were a gloomy bunch and tried to cheer us up, but we just weren't feeling cheerful. Thelma says she doesn't understand why she has no choice in anything that happens in her life. She said she had no choice about getting polio, no choice about her parents giving her to the government to take care of, where she goes, and whether or not she has surgery. Head Nurse Stanfield was supervising the student nurses get us ready for bed and prepare Thelma for her surgery in the morning. They put a nightgown on her that had Red Cross on the front. That meant she was the one having surgery, so the hospital didn't make a mistake and cut open the wrong person. Suddenly, Nurse Stanfield said that Thelma did have a choice. She could choose whether or not to get better and be the best person she can, and be a kind and productive woman, and perhaps make a difference in someone else's life, rather than bemoaning her own. That's the most I ever heard Nurse Stanfield say. Then Thelma said it didn't matter what she became or whether she got better, that no one even cared what happened to her. We were all quiet for a moment. Then I realized something, and I said, I care. And I really meant it. I care that Thelma gets better, and that Edna finds a new boyfriend, and Julie goes home to her family, and that Eugene gets out of the iron lung. Then Edna said, I care, and Julie said, I care. Then Nurse Stanfield said that she cared. She cared very much because Thelma was a smart, talented young woman, and she hated to see all that talent go to waste. I read more of Heidi to the girls tonight to take our minds off of Thelma's sur surgery. Thelma said that she felt she was just like Heidi, not wanted by her family and sent away. After the lights were out, Thelma said that she hates mushy stuff, like Heidi and the grandmother, and we girls say we cared about her, but I don't think she really does. Then Edna pointed out that in the end, despite her hardships, Heidi had made many new friends, and she had a lovely home with her grandfather. Plus, she thought of making other people happy, like the old grandmother, and didn't always feel sorry for herself. 
I think Anna is the loveliest person in the world, other than Mother. Because she never, or very seldom, feels sorry for herself, but tries to make other people feel better. I wish I could be more like Edna. Four days until I go home. Monday, November 1st, 1937. When we woke up this morning, Thelma had already gone to surgery. We never even got a chance to say goodbye, and we don't know how long it will be before we see her again. Every time I look at her empty bed, I feel a pang in my heart. In the afternoon, I went down the hall in my wheelchair to visit Eugene. Eugene says he likes my visits because I remind him of Saskatoon, and he doesn't feel so far away from home. He says his family is on relief, and his mother can't come to visit him as she can't afford the trip. I helped him with his spelling homework. He's really quite smart. I hope he gets out of the iron lung soon. Monday, November 1st, 1937, before supper. Dr. Lear came in and told us that Thelma is fine after her surgery, but will be in the recovery room until tomorrow. Then he said that Thelma wanted to see me. I started to get into my wheelchair, but Dr. Lear told me no, no, more wheelchairs. I had to get used to going places on my crutches. I guess that means I'll not be able to do any more wheelies. On the way to the recovery room to see Thelma, Dr. Lear told me he was very proud of my achievements. I told him I only had three days until I went home. He wanted to know who told me that. I said that the government said they would only pay for three weeks of care for me. He said he thought the government could extend that for another week. But I said that I was going home in three days. And I mean it. I almost started to cry, and Dr. Lear said he'd be in to talk to me this evening. He can talk all he wants to, but I'm still going home in three days. It took me a long while, and I was pretty tired, but I eventually made it to the recovery room. Thelma looked pretty white when I saw her, and her legs had casts on them, almost to her hips. I felt so badly for her. She was sleeping, but woke up when I came in. The nurse said I could only stay a moment. Thelma said she wanted to thank me for saying... I cared and asked me to pass on her thank you to the girls, as she didn't want to do it herself because she hated that mushy kind of stuff. Then she asked me why I wanted to learn to walk, so I thought about it a bit, and then I told her that when I was on the train coming to Regina, a woman had said that I was a poor child, and how the woman meant I was poor because I could not walk. I told her how at that moment I seemed to feel a sort of nudge telling me to get better because I didn't want anyone calling me a poor child, ever again. There is nothing poor about me. I have a really good brain, I think, and I do well at school, and I think I could be something great when I grow up. I don't think I will become a pilot like Amelia Earhart. I like looking at the sky, but I think I like the ground better. Then Thelma said she didn't want to be a poor child either. I had to leave them so she could sleep. I feel good inside now, like I am a good friend and a nice person. I definitely like this feeling better than the one I had when I threw mud at Anne. I will never hurt anyone again like that. Monday, November 1st, 1937. Evening. I can't go home until next Monday. I have to stay here another whole week. Dr. Lear says I need to be perfect on my crutches, including going up and down stairs, because he doesn't want to send me home just to have me fall and be back in the hospital again. One part of me knows he is right, but one part of me is mad as the dickens. I miss home so much. I pulled my blankets over my head and cried after he left. 
until Edna told me to get my head out from under the sheets where she could see me. I told her I felt bad crying in front of her when I knew she couldn't go home for a long time, and Thelma could never go home. Edna said not to be so silly, that each one of us needed to cry when necessary, and then she told me she had every intention of going home for Christmas, and then she said it was a surprise, but Thelma was coming home for Christmas with her. Edna said her dad and uncle are building a ramp up to the front door so she can bring her wheelchair into the house, and her mother is emptying out extra furniture from the room so she and Thelma can get around easier in their chairs. One of the nurses overheard Edna and warned her that she might not be able to go home for Christmas. But Edna said it was over six weeks away, and she planned to work very hard so her leg splints could come off too. Today Lillian let me practice on the crutches. We began with up and down on the single step into the storage room. I never thought about needing a ramp to get into the house with a wheelchair. In fact, now that I think of it, I am glad that I can use my crutches, because our house is very small, and wouldn't take a wheelchair very easily. And my bedroom is upstairs. It's funny, but when you are well, you never give stuff like this a second thought. But when you're ill, or suddenly you can't go up and downstairs, or get around easily, it is a really big problem. Even swatting on the lights is a nuisance. Julie is being discharged on Friday. She came three days before me and is leaving three days before me. Her mother and father are both coming to get her. I wonder if her mother is a scared mouse like her Julie, but a scared mouse in a nice way. No one could help but like Julie. Tuesday, November 2nd, 1937, evening. Today Lillian helped me go up and down stairs with my crutches. She stood in front of me as I went down each step in a real staircase, so I wouldn't go tumbling down. I was really scared to try the first step, and I had to summon all my courage to swing down. I was that frightened of falling. It's ridiculous. I've been going up and down stairs all my life, and now I have to learn how to do it all over again. At least I can now get into my wheelchair and go down the hall myself and I can use the bathroom when I need to. Edna still has to use a bedpan. She tells Lillian to rub her legs extra hard so she gets better faster. I walked up and down the hall for half an hour after I went down the stairs. Lillian said I was going to wear myself out and to only practice for a little bit at a time. I am determined to be in perfect shape so I can go home. Julie sometimes walks with me, though the corridors aren't really big enough for two of us to go side by side as we have to swing our legs out and the crutches need room. I wonder how I'll ever get down the halls at school. Next Sunday, Mother will take the train down, and Lillian will show her how to take care of my legs, how to put on the braces, and how to massage the muscles so they don't get too stiff, and how to put the crutches on and help me practice walking. Then the next day, she and I will take the late afternoon train back home. It's been all arranged, but I still feel wobbly, inside in case something happens and I can't go. I have my fingers crossed, but I'm not counting the days anymore. It might be superstitious, but I'm afraid that if I do, I'll be here another week. Thelma came back from her surgery this morning. She has to keep the cast on her feet and legs for six weeks. Then they will come off and she should have less pain in her feet and ankles, though she will always have a drop foot and probably always have to be in a wheelchair. This afternoon, we were all a bit tired, so we worked on our tatting. 
Thelma is the best at tatting, Edna is the messiest, and Julie and I are in between. Though I am quite pleased with my cross bookmark. I think Grandpa will like it. I should have it done by the time I go home. Lillian is also learning tatting, as she is going to have it as a part of her physical therapy program to help people keep their fingers exercised. I felt really good that something I showed her will help people. I must remember, though, to tell Anne, because she was the one who showed me. It is really funny how one person's actions can change so much and touch so many other people. Anne's grandmother taught her to do tatting, Anne taught me, I taught the girls, and Lillian, and now it is going to be part of Lillian's exercise program for polio patients. It was peaceful here this afternoon. Thank you for listening to part six of To Stand on My Own, the Polio Epidemic Diary of Noreen Robertson.